Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, welcome to episode one of Bug Eyes Rock Tales and Cocktails. I'm Angela Martin. And I am Paula. And this is podcast that uh, I, yeah, was funny enough, it's about rock tales and ramblings about music, there's some new music, but there's there's tales of some absolute legends out there, some not so legendary tales and some absolute shite that we'll be chatting. All shaken up over cocktails. Yes, we're going to have fiend cocktails each week, which to be honest, I have to, let's just dive straight in with this. I, I did forget the cocktail theme. Really? You told me you had cocktail down for t- this week. Oh, no, 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 no. But I have, I have. So on my way home from work, I had sort of took a little swift detour into m and I thought, okay, where am I going to be able to get? m only okay. the best for us. Right, no, 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 no. Right, so can you guess what this week's cocktail is? It's something pre-mixed in a can, I'm guessing. It's a fucking treat. I tell is you. Gin and tonic? I tell you. You are... Gin and tonic. But you know what? That anyone who thinks gin and co- uh, I couldn't speak. Gin and tonic is not a cocktail. It is not a no, cocktail. No, I would agree. However, you know, I guess. But people it's... call it a cocktail, and that winds me up, and I don't know why it should. It's one of those many things that should never wind me up, but it does. Like those open little pots of salt that you get in restaurants where every fucker who's been in there that day has touched the salt. Ooh, the like pissy that. salt. The pissy salt. Like seriously, who who who, 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 who uses that? Or the mayonnaise in restaurants that are served in little pots that have just been sitting on the side for about oh. 10 hours that you, are congealed. No, they've just scraped the top off it. So you just grim, don't know. Grim, 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 grim. Okay. Oh, so look at this little we've treat. Got, we've got some little treats coming up. This is... Do you like pina colada? I genuinely don't. I <laughs> so don't like coconut. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Paul, I think, I think it should be like... I'm so ready to get me out of this. Even if you don't like it, you still have to drink it. And part oh. of it is just me kicking back, enjoying myself and watching your face. I mean, we're talking now white rum and coconut milk. In a with can. With carbonated water. In a can. In a can. It's got two measures of white rum in it. All right, I'm going to give it a go. Oh, you have to, you have to. <laughs> that was so cheesy to do that, by the way. <laughs> Oh, that is true. That is truly vile. I cannot drink that. It does take the things I actually like pina colada, but I have to say that that is a little bit medicinal tasting, but not in a all I'm in getting... a way that it's ever going to really make you feel better. But I, I will persevere with my pina colada and pretend that I'm sitting in the sun somewhere. Um, I will not. I mean, I'm not a fa- like fresh coconut. Okay, but that is just well. I mean, not even. This might not be just a pina colada, but an M&S pina colada, but it is just a vile pina colada. But this, so this is this is literally. So I suppose if you were like middle class and suddenly homeless, this is what you would drink rather than super nah, tenants. You think? It's nah, just... mate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am going to ask the question: Where is my cocktail umbrella and slice of pineapple on the side? This is bug eye story. Everything is served in a can. I mean, did the budget not? <laughs> the budget not extend to, to canned oh, pineapple budget. <laughs> <What> budget? <laughs> uh, 
the one ninety nine we scraped together. Paid, paid for by um by First Direct's overdraft or something. Like that. Ching ching. Okay, without further ado, should we start cracking on? Yeah, we should. So we've cracked um, it open. That's crack on. So each each week there'll be two members of the band Bug Eye um, that'll be on the show, and we'll have each obviously done a lot of research. Wikipedia. <laughs> A lot of research into someone from rock music or music in general, to be honest, and and talking about their tale. So it could be absolutely anything. And if you want a factually correct podcast, this is probably not the one for you. Imagine, um, which I tried to explain earlier on the live video we did on Facebook a moment ago, that this is more for people that just like to have a chat down the pub with their mates about bands they like. And someone goes, oh, I watched this great documentary about this band and then probably does a really bad job at telling that that story of that band. But hopefully creates a bit of interest that that person who's listened to the story then goes on to find out more about the band. So I don't know, who wants to go first? Should we flip a coin? Go for it. I haven't got a coin. Should I flip my debit card? Go for it. I haven't got that on me, but hang on. Shall I flip a can of pina colada and whoever no, it hits? because that's just going to smell vile. Oh, come on, you must, have a, look, you must have a penny. No cash. This is fucking rubbish. So, as you can tell, we're really organised. Um, Wunderbaden. Okay, I haven't found a penny, but I have found a box of cystitis treatment. So, I think if we throw that in the air, what, what side do you want? The front or the back? I'm going to go with the list of ingredients. The list of ingredients? Where's that? That side. That's on the back? Yeah. I mean, yeah, right, okay. So I'm going to flip it. So you're on the back, I'm the front. Mm-hmm. So before you do that, I am going to question if you have cystitis treatment, should you be drinking a pina colada? Oh, no, I don't have it now. Oh, that's the inevitable then. This is, without further ado, this is a gynecology flip. appointment. Right, okay. <laughs> All right. Oh no, it's on its side. Best of three, best of three. It's back, so you're going first, love. I'm going first. Okay, so what are we talking about first? The track I want to play, the band that I want to talk about. Talk The, the band you want to talk about, the story, the, the, the most researched and organised bit. I've noticed you've, I've got six pages of notes for mine. and I've got a quarter of A4. I think, I think you're winning. We're going short and sweet here. Okay, so we are talking about rock bands but I've gone for more of maybe a little bit more of a pop band I'm gonna talk about Bangles who are actually called Bangles not the Bangles are you sure popular misconception I'm sure because yes. I've got their greatest hits behind me on yes Shopify. you okay. can go and check if you want they were formed in 1980 40 years ago in LA originally they were called the Bangs had isn't there ch- another band called the Bangs there were and that's why they had to change their oh, okay. name um, the Bangs wanted some serious cash um, for them to have the name, so they changed the name to Bangles, dropping the e, dropping the the the, and and adding the L E S on the end of it. Little known fact: um, they were originally two sisters, Vicky and Debbie Peterson or Peterson, having trouble reading my own handwriting at the moment, who put out an ad via Classifieds. This was in the days pre-internet. There were no chat rooms. There were no sites or emails. Um, So there was a classified ad that went out looking for co-members. Do you know what the ad said? No, I haven't done that (laughs) level of research. Um, But someone called Susanna Hoff supplied. Uh, So she picked up the phone 
she called the number that was on the ad and spoke to one of the flatmates of the sisters who had also put out an ad for a bandmate, mm. um, reached them, uh, spoke to one of the sisters, I don't remember if it was Vicky or Debbie, got on really well with her, had a great chat. Um, they passed on the message to the flatmate, said flatmate called Susanna back. Um, but there was no connection there. So she ends up joining the bangs that went on to be the bangles. Or bangles, rather. Hang on, I got so lost there because I thought you meant as in they put out an ad to form the bangles. And no, she no, 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 they just put, they put out, uh, the flatmate put out an ad. Yeah. Who was in another band. Um, Susanna Hoffs called, spoke okay, to the sisters. So folk, folk who then? Now? <laughs> <laughs> it's all on Wikipedia, kids. It's all on Wikipedia. <laughs> Sorry if that was a little bit confusing there. Hey, where are we at? So they, they were a three-piece who had... A base basis that came and went, and there was someone called I don't remember the name. Someone still who was with them for a while. Uh, they signed to Columbia. One of their key sort of things was that there was no lead singer. They were all instrumental players and vocals. So they all actually played instruments. They did. They played their own instruments. That's something they're not always commonly credited for. If that makes sense, it's true yeah. they didn't wholly write all of their own songs. I mean, like there were songs such as Manic Monday was written by Prince. Uh, they did Hazy Shade of Winter, which is obviously a cover of Simon and Garfunkel. Eternal Flame was co-written by them and two writers whose names escape me now. <laughs> we'll come back to Eternal Flame in a bit. Um, yeah, but they were all credited as being like the, as a lead singer. They, they'd be different mm. tracks, but they'd all, one of them would sing the leads on it. There was no lead singer per se. They were all the lead singer and backing vocals. Okay. But that's something that led to their demise, which we'll come to later in the story. Okay. Um, so yeah, they had loads of well-known hits. Obviously, "Walk Like an Egyptian," "Manic Monday," "Hazy Shade of Winter," and "Eternal Flame." "Eternal Flame" will come to you now. So uh, that was co-written by someone called Billy. I do not remember his Piper. name. No, it wasn't Billy. Piper. Zane. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think this is a little <laughs> bit before their time. However, what other famous Billys do you know? Billy Corgan. I'm just say Billy Piper again for some reason. That's Billy, the only name I can think Billy of. Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, yeah. No, is it? Is that Billy Ray Cyrus? Yes. No. Yes. Billy Bragg. No. There has to be another one. Go on, hit me. On the spot. Uh, Bill from God is in the TV, who's not a musician, but Bill Oddie. Bill Oddie. Who can forget Bill Oddie? <laughs> what happened to Bill Oddie? It's an oddity. No idea. <laughs> and actually, I feel for me, so, like, people might think his name's Bloody. We're actually saying Bill Oddie. There's, it's like not one name. I'm genuinely racking my brain for other Bills now. Anyway, back to the your Bill, film. the TV the show. <laughs> okay, all right, right, back to it. Where were we? You well, someone Billy, someone. This this is so full of detail. It's it's oh yeah. Amazing. So so uh, let's backtrack a little bit here. Uh, Bangles had been on their own private tour of Graceland, which is obviously Elvis Presley's last home ever living shrine to the king. Potentially on their own, it was closed. Potentially not. There were other people there. They just had one guy to themselves. However, they got... <laughs> sounds dodgy. Oh, mate. They just had one guy to themselves. Wait till I get to the end of this story. Okay, I'm, I'm Eternal hoping you, flame. Can't, you can't say that and then not have any juicy things. Oh, my days. Eternal flame goes and goes and goes. 
Anyway, so they're on this tour of Graceland and they get to this plastic booth is how it's described with like a kind of sort of ceramic round dishy type thing in the bottom that's got some water in it. And they're like, uh, what's that? I mean, obviously not in that accent. They're from LA and I'm not going to try to impersonate an LA accent. However, they're like, what's that? And the tour guide goes, oh, that's the eternal flame. And they're like, eternal flame? What eternal flame? Apparently in Graceland, there is an eternal flame that always burns to commemorate Elvis. However, on the day that Bangles had their private tour of Graceland, the eternal flame had been flooded and was out. So they go back to the studio where I believe it was Susanna Hoffs was the main Bangle writer in this case. And this Billy tells the story to Billy Dude, who could be Billy Bragg, Oddie, who knew? Anyway, and he suggests that the tune they've been writing should be called I Google it. Eternal Flame. That's the story of Eternal Flame. On a side <laughs> note. Okay. I'm Googling who Billy is. Co-wrote Eternal Flame. Yeah. Flat Flame. Flame. Even. Uh, he wrote, he co-wrote quite a few Google. other tunes as well. Right. Eternal. You know what? I was hoping this podcast, right, would like totally ace it and then we could try and convince Robin to come and do all the tech stuff for us. No, I mate. don't think she's going <laughs> to. No, I don't, I, don't, I think we might need to brush up on our... Skills. Uh, professionalism. Who co-wrote Eternal Flame? Ah, uh, Billy Steinberg. There you go. There you go. There you go. Okay, the side note on Eternal Flame is that the vocals, the lead vocals rather, by Senna Hoffs, she sang, sang naked. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Back up, back up. While she was recording, she sang it naked? Yeah, completely oh, in the bath. Yeah, that's... Because... That's and you can Google again who this was. Whoever produced it convinced her to do it. A what? Uh, 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 here we go, here we go. F- how, how do you even get into that conversation? Uh, yeah, you're not hitting the high notes. I think what needs to happen is if you just, like, took your bra off, you might, like... No, what he said was... Well, Why? I mean, I can't, I can't give you the exact words. I was not there. But she was convinced to do it by being told that... Olivia Newton-John gave her best performances by singing naked. What kind of fucking... Who... who right, okay. <laughs> this this is a producer of Eternal Flame, right? Yeah. Okay, we need to do some naming and shaming here. Producer of Eternal Flame. And yes, I do talk out loud all the time when I'm searching stuff. It's irritating. Um, oh, he's got a wanky name. Okay, it's... It, it's probably not a wanky name, but it looks like a... Yeah, yeah, that's him. How would you pronounce her? Sigerson. Sigerson. So... Yeah. I am not so judging his... If he, if and where what, was this? Where was this? Wait, if what I've read is true, then yeah, this is way out of line. And in, in these days and times, that looks completely sinister, completely wrong. I mean, like, look, I feel, I feel like that's a little bit troubling end to the Eternal Flame story. And to the end of my talking about Bangles. So I'd like to also just give a little bit of fun stuff with them as well. They were involved in a lot of film scores, including Less Than Zero, which is a classic slacker movie. Love, 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 love. Love that. They were involved in uh, uh, in The Goonies, Truffle Shuffle-tastic. Was that in... Really? They were in that? Cause the they were in the soundtrack I, for the that. The thing that really stands out for me on Goonies is um, Cindy Lauper. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yes, but according to my research, they had a track on the Goonies soundtrack. 
Um, after we, should the, put, we should put that on a playlist. After their breakup in 89, they then reformed in, I think it was around 2005, and they recorded a track for Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Yeah, so that's my summary of Bangles. Well done. 40 years till today. Good job. Good job. So it's the anniversary. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Um, mine is, well, I'm going to have a sip. I don't know how to start this one, actually. Um, I would not recommend starting it with a premix pina colada. Okay. Uh, so I am doing um, Mia Zapata, who's from the band The Gits. Really? I've yeah. not heard of them at all. Well, you should have heard of them because they're absolutely bloody fantastic. So it was a Seattle punk rock band. Wait, as in should have because I'm being ignorant or should have because they should have had more accreditation? Credit? Accreditation? What's well, the right word? you should have heard of them because of their career was cut quite short mm-hmm. and I'll come on to why that is. Um, second fold, I suppose that like with most women in music from certain decades, they sort of fell out of the history books i mean in in a lot of obviously women in music books and yeah and things talk about right girl and mm-hmm. feminism and stuff you'll 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 see see them mentioned but very rarely in lists do i see this band pop up but they they were absolutely incredible and i'm going to tell you all about them yeah um so the gits formed in 1986 in ohio and moved to seattle three years later right before the grunge music phenomenon became uh, a pro- predominant in the region and uh the band was fronted by a charismatic powerhouse vocalist called um Mia Zapata um the gits included Joe Spleen bass player Matthew Dres- Dresd oh, I'm so rubbish at pronouncing names Dresnia well look at um, least you have the names I'm like Billy someone Someone oh my god! I'm just, I just I pronounce everything <laughs> wrong, everything wrong. And the drummer Steve Moriarty, Moriarty like, oh. from Shout but he's not actually an evil character. So let's let's just let's back up, back oh. off, Steve Paula, back off, Steve. Hasn't done anything. You've devastated me there. He's I not was, done anything. I was hoping for like a little bit of sinisterness creeping in. Mm, there is in this, but not from Steve. Okay. Anyway, before I talk more about the band um, and their their success, I just want to go back a bit and do a little bit of backstory um, of where it all sort of began before we get to the sort of tragic ending mm-hmm. of the band. Um, so Mia was born on 25th August in 1965 and grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, where she lived with her brother, sister and parents. Her dad worked as a manager at a local TV station and her mum worked as a manager at a radio station. So needless to say, her parents had pretty cool jobs. Yeah, so she, she was involved with music from an early age. Oh, yeah, she, but no one was actually musical in her family, okay. though. So, that, I mean, they worked in cool jobs like broadcast and radio, mm-hmm. but they were, like, managers of stations. They weren't actual, like, musicians or anything no, like that. No, but there was, like, a... Culture of music's the right well, word. Suppose, there was an interest in the household. Yeah, but I, I suppose for the time, you know, like having a mum that had a cool job like that. Yeah. You know, so she wasn't a traditional, which must have been quite inspiring. Pretty to bloody be around. awesome. Exactly, pretty amazing for the times, especially with some of the stuff that you'll hear later on in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Mia had a great childhood, so there's there's none of this like sinister backstory with her family. They all got on incredibly well. She had a free-spirited upbringing and was quite an independent child. She learned to play the piano and guitar at age nine and was very much influenced by jazz and blues singers such as Bessie Smith, Billie Holiday, Ray Charles and Sam Cooke 
and absolutely idolised um, Janis Joplin. Um, and they actually they actually have very, like, if you listen to the gits, they've got very sim- well, I say similar voices. They're both very unique, but it's that, that kind of like really raw emotion, husky yeah. tone tone to it. Um, but yeah, but she was also influenced by pu- punk rock, but that was that was later in life. You were going to say something? No, no, but when you're saying, like, I can see the similarities in the tone between those women's voices, like, it's all very much raw or emotional coming from the, like, from the soul and from the bottom of your stomach, yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like when people heard her sing, and this yeah. is from when she was very, very young, they were always surprised that she had such a powerful, husky voice. Um, you know, it was really clear from an early age that Mia was different. She was talented and gifted and destined for great things, but she was still quite a shy, a shy child. Um, but music wasn't her only talent. Um, she was on the swim team. She was nicknamed the Bullet. She loved painting. And and that stayed with her throughout her life, actually, was her love of painting. And as she grew, so did her passion for music and poetry. And she often carried around a journal where she'd develop poems and song ideas um, wherever she went. I mean, to be honest, I had a diary when I was younger. And, I mean, now hats off to her for actually having a point to a diary. Mine was just teenage bullshit and general whining. Have you ever read it as an adult? No. Would you be mortified I've to do so? I've still got them. I've still got them. I think you need to reread them. I can, you know, when you just think, I just know what I was like as a teenager. I can just imagine how, like, you know, obviously, I, oh god, god. There's, there's, there's probably. I probably need to go along to one of those nights where you know you read parts of your diary and make everyone laugh, but you sort of die a little bit inside. <laughs> um, do you think there's a bug eye album in there? No. God no. <laughs> There's probably a Bug Eye album in there about how self-obsessed teenagers are. And I'm thinking about, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally going off subject here. Anyway, needless to say, she came from an affluent family, um, but she often lived without material comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wasn't, like, you know, splashing the cash, asking her parents for, for money or anything like that. She basically stood on her own feet, earned her way through life, her dad, dad sums it up, actually, in an article pretty well. Um, in this quote, he said that uh, Mia lived in two different worlds. She lived in two different sides of the street, the straight side on one side with with schools and an affluent family and the tennis clubs. But when she crossed the street, material things didn't mean anything to her. Her music often led to a rejection of financial comfort. Um, but regardless of her state, she was really happy. So it's kind of, I don't know, that's that story of, um, I don't know, wanting to break apart, not that you've got like a lack of respect for your, your upbringing or your family and what they stand for, what they can give you, but kind of really wanting to just be your own person and break away from that. Yeah, and I guess also having like a need to stand on your own two feet and say these are the decisions that I've made, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to go forward with it. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I think exactly. that's, com- that's completely relatable to a lot of people. So Mia went off to Antioch, Antioch, however you pronounce it, um, Union, Ohio, where she met her bandmates. Um, the bassist, Matt, first heard her sing an open mic night and was completely blown away. He told Rolling Stone magazine... A bunch of students took turns getting up on stage and played their songs. Then there was Mia. I don't remember what song she opened with. Maybe Bessie Smith, maybe something she wrote. Whatever it was, I was transfixed and overcome. I cried. It was raw, honest, to the bone and from the heart. No music or musician had ever affected me like she did that night. And that was when he decided he wanted to be in a band with her. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, exactly. And then Steve Moriarty from the gigs in an interview, and this is a really nice interview. And by the way, mm. in the um, show description, I'm going to post all the links to this stuff so you can you can read it yourself because a lot of this I am actually copying and pasting and just reading. So yep. I need to give kudos to these people or it'll be like plagiarism, copyright, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, They'll Steve... be coming for you. <laughs> yeah. So Steve Moriarty from The Gits in an interview with Rachel Arif. Um, it's a great interview, so you should totally check it out. Um, and by the way, Rachel was someone who also went to that uni. So this is kind of like years down the line and she meets up with Steve and they have a chat about the gits and, and all sorts of things. And it's really insightful. There's some really lovely stories in there that you just don't get from other articles, which you'll understand why that is a bit later. Um, anyway, so, I mean, she says that um, he met Mia in a bar and she taught him how to do shots. They spent an afternoon, like the next day or something, and she was teaching him how to drink tequila. Um, like she was a hardcore drinker. She she could she could be a member of Bug Eye. I genuinely have a question. Yes. How why would you need to be taught how to drink tequila? You just drink it. I mean, I personally would never drink it. It's a vile substance. Well, no, there's the salt thing. There's the, but it's also like knowing how to do shots and knowing how to, you know, drink water and you know taking a break and so you can do shots and how to I, I don't know I'm making this up I have no idea what there is to teach I no. think essentially it was he was taught to get trashed they got shit-faced they just basically got shit-faced and knew that they'd be friends um and that was a great thing oh but in- interesting fact that I read and mm-hmm. you know this actually taps into like the bangles thing as well even though that's slightly later but um in Ohio it was illegal for a woman to order a drink at a bar until 1975. Shut you up. You couldn't even stand at a bar. That is, like, so not that long ago. You couldn't stand at a bar? No, if you're a woman, you couldn't stand at the bar. 45 years ago. Well, I mean, you ago. couldn't order a drink, but you couldn't even stand at the bar. Like, I mean, maybe they've got, you know, I wonder if there was other rules in, like, if, if someone's more than, like, 30 centimetres near to a bar, they'd be, like, kicked out. Like, how did... Wh- Wait, what? so... As a female, you could enter a bar. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you couldn't stand at the bar. No, you couldn't stand at the bar. Therefore, you couldn't walk to the bar and buy your own drink. No, no, no. What the fuck? It's a man's world. It's a fucked world. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly, totally. Anyway, continue. Um, Yes. So, um, and I promise I'm not reading six pages of stuff. I'm literally, I've just got some notes here, so I, I try not to ramble, but I'm rambling. Anyway, a few months later, the friends formed the Gits, although they were first called the Snivelling Rat-Faced Gits, which is a reference to Monty Python, which just makes them even cooler that they liked Monty Python. Seriously? Yeah. In Ohio, yeah. this is? Yeah. In the mid-80s? Yeah. They liked Monty Python? Yes. Shut the back door. Anyway, Mia was a, like a fiery, charismatic performer, um, but off stage she was actually quite shy. She was described by everyone that knew her as quirky and funny and being absolutely mm-hmm. loyal and really right on. Like, so she saw a homeless person in the street. She was checking that they were okay. Um, but, you know, she was also like absolute fun to be around, like riding her bunk bike drunk crashing into bushes and all kinds of crazy ass shit climbing over fences of people's posh properties and deciding to go swimming at night and and, you know she she was she was fun um anyway after relocating to seattle so the band was formed and they relocated to seattle Uh in 1989 and the band set up a shop the rat house an abandoned house in capitol hill district where they rehearsed and lived 
They quickly earned a following in the local scene and gained many friends, particularly in the city's punk rock community. Um, during the early 90s, buzz began around the band. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know, which I learned today, um, was the metalheads and the punk rockers, um, they used to war against each other. As in, like, mods and rockers style? Yeah, 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 totally, wow. totally. Like, you could never have, like, even them playing on the same street because there would just be fights. And it wasn't until... Um, Okay, this is where I turn into you, and I can't remember the facts. Someone opened a club somewhere and changed all of it, and both bands learned to like fucking hold hands and dance in a square or something. And, and then they all lived happily ever after. I don't know. Anyway, um, the Gits gradually became the hub of a large music and social subscene that included many other musicians, artists, and dynamic individuals, including several eccentric billionaires. Um, the group was known to be uncompromising and independent. In 1991, the band completed a highly successful tour of Europe without the involvement of a record label or booking agent. Her friends used to call her Chicken Woman because she was tall and double-jointed, um, but the name was an affectionate one <laughs> rather than anything with malice, much like your nickname, Poohhead. Well, yes. What can we say on that one? <laughs> Moving swiftly on. <laughs> There's some awesome videos online of the band and some clips of a documentary which is out on Netflix in the US and coming to the UK soon. I was really annoyed about that because I was searching for stuff online mm-hmm. and um, I just started to read about this um, Netflix documentary and I searched, it came up on Google Prime actually and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to watch it. It was, it was bloody, not Google Prime, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. It was the US version so I couldn't, being a UK person, being British, they discriminated against me, so I can't watch it until it comes out officially over here. And when you saw you when you saw that Prime uh, documentary, you must have been like, absolute bingo. Exactly. I was like, get in. Anyway, but no, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, back to the band, mm-hmm. back to the band. Mm-hmm. 1993, um, the year that major labels started to show interest in alternative music once more. Grunge had exploded and guitar music was back on trend. And the likes of Topshop were selling designer ripped T-shirts for those with more money than cents. I mean, come on, guys. Rip I think they own, still are. Rip your own T-shirt, for fuck's sake. Um, there was a lot of tie-dye going around at that time as well. Something I never really bought into. Um, smell of patchouli oil. What? The smell of patchouli oil. Whenever <laughs> I think of tie-dye, I think of that smell. Ugh, I just, yeah, never bought into it. It was all over Camden, everywhere. Um, Anyway, the Gits were at the forefront of a punk movement created on their own terms. With another album planned and national and international tours, the band were well on their way to the top. Tragically, this would come to an end on the 7th of July 1993. After just coming back from a hugely successful tour in June, the band had a lot to be excited about. Mia was even invited to perform a couple of solo shows in LA and a meeting was booked with Atlantic Records. Wow. They were keen to sign the Gits. All was looking pretty rosy, but I have to say the band were quite apprehensive about it because they had quite a strong ethos about being independent. There was mm-hmm, the whole mm-hmm. thing of, oh, God, if we sign to a major, you know, how will that change us? Will we be able to still do what we want? Will they make us do our hair differently? And, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, add violins into a musical? God knows what. Not, I'm not I'm paraphrasing. They didn't actually talk about violins. But anyway, um, as I said, everything was heading in the right direction. The band only planned to be back in Seattle for a few days before heading out on the road again. So, let's get into what happened on the 7th of July. Mia met her dad for lunch. They were really close and met up a couple of times a month. 
after lunch, they hung out at Tower Records, and that's a record shop for those that are too young to know that. No, I remember the one in Piccadilly. I'm not saying you're too young to remember, oh. it, but other people might they might think you know Tower Records was a record label. No, it was a record shop. Um, yeah, so Tower Records. And then they went on to the Seattle Art Museum. After that, Mia was dropped off by her dad around 3pm at her shared apartment block. Mm-hmm. Around 6.30pm, Mia headed out to the production studios on 11th Avenue to rehearse with her ex-boyfriend's band. She <gasps> The ex-boyfriend. Dun, dun, dun. But no. No? Let me... No. Oh. No. I knew, I knew you'd say that. I mean, Mia sang backing vocals in, her ba- in his band and they'd only actually broken up um a few weeks before so she was she was still pretty upset okay about he already had another girlfriend whatever but um there's nothing sinister here i should know about no uh, no well you're gonna know about okay. it you're gonna know about it right so 8 30 p.m she left the studio and went to head to the comet tavern about a block away um to hang out with her friends um i'm not sure if that bar's still there actually apparently she engraved her name in one of the the booths so if anyone is in seattle um living there, working there, going on holiday there and want to check out if it's open and if that's there, then please do and send us a picture. Mia met up with her mates, one of which was her bestie from Antioch Uni. It is called Antioch Uni. Yes, it is. That is how you say it. I think Mm. it is. And I apologise if it isn't. Anyway, one of her best mates was Valerie, who also played in a band called Seven Year Bitch. That night, Mia was still a bit upset and angry about a recent breakup, so had been drinking a fair bit. Around 1am, Mia left the bar and went to a friend's apartment, who was the singer of her ex-boyfriend's band, by the way. Um, So they were good friends. Um, And the apartment was just by the rehearsal room. I know, look, I'm leading you down a path, but it's twists and turns. Anyway, after about an hour, Mia left the apartment, headphones on with Walkman. I said she was just going to head a couple of blocks. Walkman, though. Yeah, Walkman. Anyway, that she was going to just head a couple of blocks away to a gas station and get a cab from there. That was the last time anyone saw Mia alive. Um, skip forward a short while to 3.20am on the tw- on 24th Avenue South, a small dead-end street. It was like a known location for like sex workers and drug dealers. Anyway. Yeah. So a woman that was working that street noticed what she thought was a rubbish bag and as she approached no. and the street like cast down the scene became quite clear and what she found was a body and it was a body positioned in a Christ pose. Um, really? A Christ pose? Yeah. Uh, in a I'll, bin bag? I'll, she, thought, she thought it was a bin bag. Let, let me explain. Let me explain. The reason why she thought it was a bin bag, so the body, the hoodie was pulled up over the face. Oh, so okay. So hoodie was pulled okay. up, the hood was over the face and because it was quite dark and it was one of those kind of back alley yeah, yeah. sort of streets, she thought it was a bin bag. As she approached... It's not. It's it's a body, and it's in a, in a cross pose. So the legs were crossed at the ankles, and the arms were out. Um, the hood had pu- been pulled up, like pulled down. Sorry, over her face, um, and the cord of the hood had been tied around her neck. There was no sign oh. of a struggle, so it's believed that she was killed elsewhere and dumped. Um, the body was that of, as you probably guessed, twenty-seven-year-old Mia Zapata. Um, Mia had been beaten raped and strangled and like viciously raped and in some of the documentaries and stuff about this it's like this was not like seen as it was quite clear that this wasn't like a sexually 
this wasn't a sexual gratification thing. This was something done to cause pain. So Fuck. it's um look. That's horrible. This is not a true crime podcast. Mm. It really isn't. And there's many shows out there that would tell you all about this oh, part. It's really horrible. In in detail and talk about the case and all of that. And they'll do it a whole lot better than I would. So the fact is I have to mention it because this is how she mm-hmm. came to an end. Um, but I don't want that to be the main part of the story. Um, but what I can tell you is the case went cold and remained unsolved for like a decade. The police thought there was probably someone she knew. So you can just imagine. Could you mm-hmm. imagine like in our scene if someone was murdered and the police were like, it's probably someone you know, what kind of level of paranoia? You're like, oh. have I just been having a drink with someone who's capable of that? Like, sinister. And me, they're Jesus. already just judging but the, the weird, boyfriend. But the weird thing, and um, the weird thing was her friends were told by the police, um, you yeah, know, don't, don't mention to people that she was raped. We're holding that detail back. It's like, what? There's, there's some fucking psycho mm-hmm. out there. That's not like a a, a, a detail that, that you need to hold back. A detail that you need to hold back is something that that's I don't know, a trophy was taken or something. You know, like not oh anyway, yeah. There's there's a lot about this case that is quite questionable. But anyway, um Ah oh God. Anyway, the loyalty and commitment of her bandmates um and and the Seattle music community just thought the police were doing a shit job, that they weren't doing enough, to be honest. So they put on benefit shows, they sold CDs, they used their own money to hire a private detective called um, Lee. And for some reason, I didn't put her surname in there. Anyway, she's like Madonna, she's just known as Lee. She's an absolute legend Mm -hmm. in this, by the way. Um, Anyway, to supplement the police investigation, even Joan Jett joined the Gits on a small tour of benefit gigs um, as she'd been touched by Amir's murder. So she fronted the band and did it all so all of the money would go into this funding a private mm-hmm. investigator. Even Warner, the record label, was convinced to front some cash for a show where Hull played, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. Um, loads of bands got involved. No one took a fee. All the money just went into um, this this case, basically. Um, it's nice to see solidarity. Oh, totally. There was like a vigil that was held. There was like over a thousand people there. Mm. Like this totally, you know, exploded on the music scene. Like the outrage, the anger. How could this happen? Is it one of us? What are the police doing? How could this happen? Um, but also anyway, probably from a we need to catch the perpetrator because oh, this is course. like not. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was just like, how can this happen? Yeah. And no one heard anything. No one saw anything. There's no, I mean, there was there was DNA evidence. Basically, the the one good thing that the police, not the one good thing, because there, there were many things that they did, and mm-hmm. I think there's sides probably to there's two, two sides, sides to every story. But um, they'd heard obviously DNA technology was in advancement. It wasn't something that was ready to be used yet, and there was a bite on her yeah. where they on her breast that they managed to get minimal DNA from that they kept on file for a day when when they could use it um and that's a really important point that we'll come back to in a moment anyway the case fell cold and the band and the music community didn't give up and like i just said with the advancement of dna technology they pushed to have the case reopened and um one of the things i read actually was that there were a number of leads that the police felt that they didn't need to follow up 
One being a woman being followed by a car with a man wanking inside, not too what? far away, where Mia was found. She took down the number plate, gave it to the police, and they felt, oh, sorry, love. It's not something... No, I'm not going to do an accent. It's terrible. Um, they felt that it wasn't something they needed to pursue. Are you joking? Yeah, it's like women being able to buy a drink at a bar. It's just like, you know... <sighs> Are Are you serious? He's in his car, he's allowed to wank. That's absolute Forget that it's like, it's night time. He's like cruising, freaking someone out. It's it's actually against the law. It was against the law then to do that. Like, what the hell? Anyway, they didn't follow up on it. That's outrageous. I know. Samir's friends um, did a load of fundraising, but they also decided to set up an organisation called um, Home Alive that provided self-defence training to women. Um, and this is people from bands, mm-hmm. like people pulling cash together mm-hmm. and trying to, because I felt that, you know, maybe if Mia had been a bit more aware, like maybe she wasn't listening to music, you know, because that could have been any of us. I've even done it. Like I've got my phone, headphones plugged in. I'm drunk coming back from somewhere and I'm just in my own headspace listening to yeah. music. And you should absolutely be able to do that. But it is about having street smarts as well yeah. and being able to defend yourself. Also at the time, in the 70s, I mean, this the 70s before that, but um, with the whole kind of Ted Bundy thing and stuff like that, the advice to women at that time was if someone wants to rape you, you need to just let them. Don't try and fight, fight back because you'll just end up dead. Like, what kind of advice is that? Shocking is what that kind of what advice the is. fuck? Anyway. Ay, ay, ay. Let's get past this horrible bit, but it's it's an important bit. Um. Yeah, so basically, the the woman who saw this man um, also contacted Lee um, years later. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm so just like scrolled down and skipped a load of notes. Anyway, let's let's skip 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 forward to like almost a decade later. Um, a suspect woman contacted Lee and reported that this guy she'd met online during a fight. This guy had said he would do to her what he'd done to Mia Zapata. This guy, wait 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 wait. She met him online during? Yeah, so this woman came up to... just She met him online, so online okay. had started in okay, the late okay, 90s, okay, whatever. Okay. And um, this woman contacted the private investigator, mm-hmm. Lee, to say, I've met this creepy fucking guy online. Um, we got into a fight. I mean, I didn't think he was creepy until we got into a fight. And then he said he would do to her what he'd done to Mia Zapata. No. This guy was a complete creep, actually. It turned out he used to watch schoolgirls from his car. He lied about where he was that night. What the fuck? When, in fact, he was a cab driver <gasps> in the area that night. Um, but the police didn't have enough evidence to go any further with it. Like, he was put through a lie detector test, uh, whatever it's called, and um, Which he is, uh, we all know. it. But we all know that that's... Well... Yeah. Anyway. Um, but when the cash ran out, actually... By that point, Lee was so involved in the case, she just worked for free. She just was so passionate about trying to solve this. So let's cut to the chase. Let's cut to the chase, right? Because I want to move on. Let's summarise this dark tale. Right. So, who was this shitbag? Right. 48 year old Jesus Mazkaya. I mean, with a rap sheet, as long as your arm against women, you know, battery of a pregnant woman, kidnapping, indecent exposure, attempted rape. Needless to say, he's not really a catch. Um, it was bad news, and guess what? During the investigate, just during investigating this brick, it turned out his number plate was a match for a car that had been reported as being seen that night of Mia's death. 
Yes. The masturbator. fucking dude in the car wanking that police were like, no, no, we don't need to look into him. He's allowed to wank. Um, You know, don't, you know, you can't judge a man. That's utterly shocking. Exactly. And also, just to let you know. Okay, go. Did any heads roll over this shit? I mean, like, Uh -uh. seriously. No. How? How? No, no, no. And just, just to let you know, also, a woman, and I'm sure there might have been other, I mean, it was a decade before he was caught. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure there's probably many people that may have been assaulted by him. But there was one woman who um, had reported a crime. Basically, the guy had, um, this motherfucker had assaulted her in a park and put something around her throat. And tried to, she managed to escape and flag down some people Fuck. and managed to get away. But if he'd been picked up that night, I mean, you know what? They still only had, like, no evidence, really, like, mm-hmm. a bit of DNA that they couldn't really use. Mm-hmm. But he should have been picked up that night, man. Like, he just should have been. That they, hadn't, they had everything they needed and they did nothing with it. Anyway, I don't really want to focus on Jesus. Um, I don't want to give him any more airtime because no. I don't think he deserves it. Um, he was tried and convicted and sentenced to, like, 36 years in prison. Enough said about um, him. Yeah. Let's, but let's go back ce- to Mia yeah, exactly. and how let's, good she was. Let's celebrate the lady. So please stream and buy the Gits albums. Um, you really won't be sorry. Like, I think I think it's absolutely great. Like, absolutely amazing. I think Mia, as a person, is absolutely inspirational to us all. She was shy, but she still got on stage. She had integrity and strong values that she lived by. Um, Mia was dyslexic and that never, you know, she never let that inhibit her. She was not only an excellent singer, but she was also an incredible pianist and guitarist. She was loved by many, not just because of being in a band, but because she was one of the good ones. Weeks before her death, she wrote a song called Sign of the Crab. It's about being murdered by a serial killer. How fucking eerie is that? Whoa. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you some of these lyrics, right? So it goes, why don't you play it out after? Well, I can't because I don't have rights. Oh, we don't play license if it's. We'll put it. We'll put it in a playlist. We'll put it in yeah. a playlist with with some other stuff. So it says, "You take me off the roller coaster of your serial killing ways. I'm down the roller piece. You find my bowl. That's that's it. You're always taking me back to the same place. I wonder if I'm here just to take the rap, and you can talk with your husband. But there's no torch there for remorse. We ain't that much different. No, we're feeding off the same incentives. Never ceases to amaze me the." the things you try to pull, anything to get me in and then get me killed. Go ahead and slice me up, spread me all across this town, because you know you're the one that won't be found. Maybe I've pushed my luck one too many times. Now you've taken it upon yourself to put me back in line. We'll leave it to fear to get the message through, but isn't that the romance that brought me here to you? You can talk to your husband, but there's no torch there for remorse. We ain't that much different. No, we're feeding off the same goddamn incentives. Yeah, you take me off the roller coaster of your serial killer ways. I'm down the roller piece. You find my bowl, that's it. Go ahead and take me out for all you think it's worth because I know I'm the one that won't get hurt. Don't ruin me for what you cannot have. You can talk with your husband, but there's no torch there for remorse. We ain't that much different. No, we're confident we can get back on our feet again. That's... That was like she wrote that like two months Whoa. before. That's anyway. Sidebar, because um, this song is called "Sign of the Crab," and uh, my spelling is pretty bad, right? I have to mm-hmm. say. And when I was in junior school, we had a spelling test, and I got in trouble because I spelt 
um, instead of spelling crab, I spoke, I spelt crap. Um, and I also wrote slag instead of slang. Um, yeah, moving on from that. Anyway, if you want to know more about the gits, there's a great interview with Steve, as I mentioned before, um, by Rachel Arif. Um, there's podcasts that do such a better job of telling this story than I do. Um, you can check out My Favourite Murder and Case File. Uh, there's, of course, YouTube videos online, the Netflix documentary when we finally get access to it. Um, although, as I say, it isn't out in the UK yet. Um, Wikipedia, which I pretty much read a lot of stuff from. Um, there's a lot out there, but I think, to be honest, a lot of it just focuses on... The sinister side. The sinister side. The fact is, they were a fucking amazing band that were doing it on their own terms without any support, selling out shows touring Europe, making it on their own, and that's what we actually need to celebrate. And so I'd say the best way to understand the band is not to read loads of interviews about, you know, why the band ended and and awful thing that happened. Um, although I don't think we should forget that oh, God, this no. shit happens. But, you know, I don't think that's that's the way to remember her. I think it's I think if you really want to discover them is go forth Discover and rediscover through their music. Um, yeah. You know, it's on Spotify, it's on every single platform. Um, buy it, the records, give the band some cash um, because they they deserve it. And it'll be coming um, to a playlist by Bug Eye soon. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about some new music now. So what, what what's your new discovery of the week? My new discovery of the week is a band called Orchards. In keeping with Bangles, not the Orchards, not the Bangles, just Orchards, they're a four-piece from Brighton. Um, I've read a little bit around them. I've seen them described as math rock. They describe... Called as what? Math rock. Oh, of course. Uh, they describe themselves as alt pop. Um, I really like them. They're a four-piece. They're made up of Sam Rushton playing guitars, Dan Fane playing bass, Will Lee Lewis on drums and Lucy Evans on vocals. Um, the track that I'm going to play is called Sincerely Overwhelmed. It's from their album called Love Core. Um, they're on a tour coming up in April. They've got some dates in Birmingham on the 2nd of April. They're playing Manchester Yes on the 3rd. Uh, Glasgow on the 4th. Uh, Nottingham Bodega on the 7th. And then London on the 8th, which I'm gutted I can't go to. Where, where is it in London? In London they're playing Omera. Omera's, yeah, it's on South Bank. Oh, wow. Fair play to them. And then they're playing in Bristol on the 9th, Cardiff on the 10th, and then they're back in their hometown on the 11th at Chalk. How did you discover them? How did you um, It's through a Facebook group called the AF Gang, which is like a idol sort of related gang. And they did this really awesome cover of... They've done two tracks, and the first one was great. And they, then they did a cover of I'm Scum, where they played the lead guitar part on xylophone. There needs to be more <laughs> I need xylophone. To, I need to hear that. Can you can you make sure you send me a link and I'll put it in the show description? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's a like as cover tracks go, it's just it's great and it's really honest. It's, it looks like it's them filmed at home. Yeah, four of them sitting crouched together playing like a cover of but this song. It looks like it was, but really it was a green screen. No, they were in like a really posh studio. No, thought, it, it, How can we scuzz this down? It genuinely wasn't like okay, it's genuinely. I think it's just them covering a song that they love and I was like you know what fair play to you so I've seen them do two covers of Idol songs and kind of looked around the band a little bit this track I really like and I like it because for me I like music that makes me feel that's a bit emotive and for me this is like the the sound of a 
you know that feeling when you're going to work on a Friday for a bank holiday and the sun's shining and you're like, you know what? It's good to be alive at the moment. And yeah, I really like tracks that make me feel like that. And this for me is a track that makes me feel like that. Um, for you, I'm sure everyone will take something from it. Music's very different for every individual person. But yeah, hope you enjoy it. So that was Orchards, not the Orchards. So there you go. But where, where can we find out more information about them? She's stalling for time. She's just checking it out. I can see her. She's looking at me going, don't, don't talk. Don't say it. Don't say it. 
We need we need one of those advert breaks where it goes. You're listening to Bug Eye Tales from Brock, or something like that. Anyway, Paula, do you have the band's social hand- handles? One second. Oh my god! Like, I'll talk about berries and then we'll come back. That was Berries, Wits, and Berries have a few gig dates coming up. They're playing the 26th of March at the Boiler Room in Guildford, um, April 15th at the Seabright Arms, which is a single launch party for the song you just heard. May 2nd at Liverpool Sound City, which means they're a band that is going places if they're on that bill. Um, and May the 14th for the Black Lion in Brighton, which is part of the Brighton Mix-Up which is presented by Kick Out, The Jams, and Into the Trail, 
Records and Binumu and, and a whole host of people. Roto videos are sponsoring it, I think. I may have made that up. Um, Bug Eye's also on the bill, so you can come and hang out with us while we play and then watch watch Berries just put us to shame because they're fantastic. Um, what more can I say? Also, if you want you want to follow Berries, they are on Twitter, so it's Berries Band UK. They've got a music glue site. They're all over the internet. If you type in Berries Band in anything, I'm sure you'll... You'll find them. Um, yeah. And they've got some fantastic bundles online at Bandcamp, so check that out. So did you manage to track down something on Orchards? I did. It well was obvious done. as what I searched for on Facebook. It is Orchards, and you'll find them. You'll find some green and pink colours, and you'll know you're in the right place. And you, while we were listening to Berries, you said you found an awesome description of them. I did, and I can't remember it now. Oh, it definitely contained the words 40% glitter and 1% oat milk. I can't remember what the 51% was. Oh, it sounds like mine and Julia's company, which is like 31% wool. I can't even think of other percentages now because I've drunk three pina coladas. Oh, yeah, she's in the room. She's in the room. We do have Julia working hard on design stuff. And uh, the funny story about mine and Julia's company was I didn't really know why we were called 31% wool. And I asked her one day, you know what? do we work under that name she's like oh because it's you know 31 percent julie you tell it come and tell it i can't even fucking it's something about and surely to god it's 31 percent of her name is made up of the word wool and the rest of it is something else being the other fibers (laughs) (laughs) julie did (laughs) the domain name story the domain name story. Oh, yeah, yeah. So for Christmas, because Julie was so hyped, originally this was going to be just... Never um, never try and get us to talk percentages, Jesus Christ. Exactly. I did, look, I can't spell. Math's not my strong point. I don't know why someone ever gave me a job managing, like, multi-million pound budgets. It was, like, a mistake. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I wanted to get something nice for Julia for Christmas one year, and this was before we were going to have the business together. And she talked about what she'd wanted to call business if she ever had one. And I thought, oh, I, you know, I'm going to buy her a domain name. Um, I'm going to set it all up for her. And because that's romance. Because that's romance, you know, domain <laughs> name. something romance. It wasn't Valentine's Day, right? It was Christmas. <laughs> anyway, so I bought her a domain name. When I gave it to her, she was like, oh, but that's not that. I bought 30% wool, um, spent money on that for a year, and then she went, that's not the name. I was like, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone out there has a name that contains 30% if, uh, of the yeah, words exactly. W-O-O-L, there's if a domain name going bus- cheap. Exactly. If anyone has a business called 30% wall <laughs> and needs the domain name, I own it and I'm going to triple charge you for it. <laughs> um, anyway, so thank you for listening. We've been rambling on and on. We do have um, an email address that if you've got corrections for us, because I'm sure we've got a lot of stuff wrong and we're happy to have them. We're not grouchy about it. We know we're we're not the greatest with facts. So what's our email address, Paula? Can you remember it? We set it up tonight. I just said it. <laughs> I set it up. So I said it. No, it's, it's, it's bugeyerocktails at gmail.com. That's it. Together we nailed it. It is definitely that because I'm looking at it now. So Coming in strong with the gmail.com. If you've got any band suggestions or any stories you'd like to see us cover, just email us at bugeyerocktails at gmail.com and we will remember to look at them. Uh, what else can we say? We've got a Patreon site, which uh, basically 
We're going to have some bonus content available in there. So if you're a Patreon, you'll get access to it. If you're not, you won't. So you should really be a Patreon. But if not, the podcast is for free anyway. It's just bonus stuff and goodies will only be available to Patreons. So please do go over to Patreon and search Bug Eye and you'll find us on there. We also have Twitter and Facebook account, which is our band account. Um, and we are playing our next live show on the 11th of April at Ulu with Moses, Couples and Novus. So come along to that. Uh, and our social media channels are, Paula. Ah, <laughs> over to you. Uh, <laughs> on Twitter, we're at Bug Eye Band. And on Facebook, we are Bug Eye Music. And on Instagram, it's Bug Eye underscore music. And what we will be doing is we'll be posting on Instagram photos from tonight's show, the, some of the things we've talked about. So we'll see pictures of like the gits. And, but we're also going to have a playlist which is going to be on Spotify, which is celebrating International Women's Day. So you can expect bangles not the bangles but bangles on there you can expect the gits berries and also orchards on there as well as um some bands that have and female artists that have inspired us over time so we'll we'll post a link to that and also some artists that we think you should be listening to yeah deserve totally. your so, time well exactly exactly so uh, we've been bug eye and you've been fabulous uh so please come back next week please come back next week um, or one of you that's probably listening for some more rocktails and cocktails. Over and out. <laughs>